This is The Podcast Method. I'm Dan Benjamin, and my goal with this show is to answer your questions about podcasting, recording, audio and video equipment, software, mic technique, pre- and post-production, workflows, pretty much anything that you might want to know regarding podcasting. I've made so many mistakes over the years of doing this uh, that maybe I can help you. Maybe I can help you not make those mistakes uh, that I made and lose a whole bunch of time and maybe a whole bunch of money. This is episode number 20. Today is March 10th, 2016. And you know, I've been doing this show now for, uh, for, for quite a while. It has not been weekly. But the more questions that you ask me, the more regular the show schedule will be. I need your questions. And if you want to ask me questions, the best way to do it, you can use Twitter. I'm at Dan Benjamin on Twitter. Follow me there. Ask me a question. Or you can go to 5by5.tv slash contact. And on that contact page, you'll find podcast method. Click the link and it will put a special subject line that I will see that will tell me you want to ask me a question here. Well, one topic that's been on my mind recently, I've talked about it maybe once or twice a while ago, but it does come back up periodically. And that is often I talk about, here's a great way to start a podcast. Here's a great way to start a new show. Here's a great way to get new listeners or to create engaging content or uh, you know something like that. Well, something that maybe we don't talk about is what happens when you want to come to the end of a show. There's a show on 5x5 that some folks have been doing for a while, and they have decided that for a variety of reasons that they need to end the show. They can't do it. They don't have time. The people involved are going to be changing. They just feel like it. the show has run its course and it's come to an end. And so they emailed me and they said, listen, we've, we've made this really tough decision, but after all these years, we want, to, we want to stop doing the show. And I said, I wrote back and I said, that's a bummer, of course, but I understand. Shows have a life. and Maybe this one has come to an end. But they said, what kind of advice do you have for us as we end our show? What kind of advice? What should we do? How should we end it in, a, in, in, in a, the really the best way possible? So I thought maybe I would share with you guys now some of the advice that I gave them when they were considering making this decision and, and how, how to go forward with it. And so to me, the most important thing, the first and foremost, the most important thing is, when it comes to ending a show, I think, is to be completely forthcoming about it to your listeners as soon as you know that the show is going to be ending. A lot of the time, people put podcasts into sort of the same category as like TV, where you know, oh, it's been announced, my favorite show, this is its last season. You know all along that it's going to be the last season. Mad Men's a good example of that. Far, far in advance of Mad Men ending, we knew that it was the final season. We knew when the dates were. We knew how many episodes it was going to be. We knew when the finale was going to be. We knew everything. Do the same thing for your listeners. They're heavily invested in your show. If they've been listening, especially since episode one and you're on episode 50 or 100 or 300, they've invested a lot of their time and energy. So if you're going to be ending the show, tell them and tell them as much in advance as you can. If you're on episode 50 and you've decided you're, you know, episode 55 is the last one, tell them right away. Number one. Number two, tell them why. Why are you ending the show? 
You don't have to go into too much detail if you don't want to. I've heard the argument that, you know what, your listeners are invested. They really want to know. They have a right to know. I don't agree with that. It's your show. If you want to end it, you can end it. And you can end it with no warning and no explanation. But I don't think that's the cool way to do it. I think the cool way to do it would be to tell your listeners what's going on in as much as you feel like you can say. If your reason is you got a new job and the job is too demanding or your co-host just had a new baby or you feel that the life and energy of the show has changed or is missing or is gone or you're just not passionate about it anymore, any of those are perfectly valid. In other words, any reason is a perfectly valid reason. Every reason is a perfectly valid reason. But I feel like it's a cool thing to do to give your listeners an understanding of why you're doing it. Even if the answer is as simple as, I just don't have time. That's fine. Just communicate that. Your listeners will want to know. And being direct and upfront and open about it, that gives them that feeling of engagement with you. It gives them that feeling of being connected to what's going on. So you've now told them you're going to end it. You've given them a warning and set maybe a date or an episode number. You've told them why. There's one more thing that you can do that I think will really, really make them grateful and appreciative of the show. And that is do a goodbye episode. Even if the goodbye episode is a five, 10 minute episode, do something special that just celebrates the fun that you had with your listeners about the show. You might want to do, I've seen people do really, really fun clip shows where they have a show where they've picked some of their favorite moments out of the history of the show and they put them together into a clip show with a little bit of narration in between where they say, oh, this one was from two years ago on this episode. This thing had just happened and this is one of my favorite things. And you, you put in a little clip. Things like that go a, a long way or even just taking a minute, a five-minute show. Or you just thank the listeners for being along for the ride. I mean, some, some kind of closure, I think, really goes a long, long way. So that's just my two cents on ending a show and ending it the right way. You don't owe your listeners anything. It's your prerogative. But it's really a nice thing to do to involve them and engage with them. And, you know, if your show did well for you, if you made if the show made you some money or got you some more Twitter followers or whatever it did for you, that happened because of your listeners. So thanking them, I think, in a way is paying that back. And I think that's that's really nice, a nice thing to do. Now, I've had a whole bunch of really great questions. Most of these questions are submitted via Twitter. So again, I'm at Dan Benjamin on Twitter if you want to ask me any kind of question at all. And I will. the more questions I get, the more material that creates for me to do more of these episodes. One of the questions I had most recently is from McClurg. DJM McClurg on Twitter says, can you talk about how you find people to host shows with you? That's a great question. Back in the old days, when I first started 5x5 in 2009, uh, I, was, uh, I was hosting shows. What I had done is I had started an interview show called The Pipeline. And The Pipeline was, uh, was a show where I was talking mainly with, uh, with people who were in the creative field, especially like web design or technology, or they'd done startups and things like that. And 
I, uh, I, I found these people so fascinating and I really wanted to interview them. And so that's how that show started. But I also found after doing a number of episodes of that show, especially with people who, with whom I had a really good rapport, I said, man, I would love to talk to this person more. They have more to say, or we have these common things, these interests. Well, maybe, maybe we could do a show. And I had recently gone full time doing podcasting. So I had plenty of time to, to do shows. <laughs> I mean, that was what I was doing. So I would, I would pitch them on the idea. I'd say, listen, let's do a show. And here's what I think the show could contain. And here's topics. And maybe even here's a few name ideas. And based on their feedback of, well, I don't want to do a show or yes, I would love to do a show. You know, we would, we would start doing it. My advice though about that is, uh, try, try really try practicing the show a little bit before you put it out there. I can't say, I can't name any names. I can't name any company names or anything, but a friend of mine has been practicing starting a new show for his very popular website. And they keep recording episodes and then not, not publishing it. So that goes against my philosophy of like, just put your show out there. Just do it. Just do something. Do something awesome. It goes against that philosophy. But I totally understand because they want to get the energy level right. They want to get the, uh, they want to get the chemistry right. They want to get the feel of the show down before they come out with it. Well, I think that's a wonderful idea. You've got to test recording with somebody else. You may have the most amazing conversations with your friend at the bar or at the dinner table or you know, driving in the car. But when you sit down in the micro, with microphones in front of you, that it changes. That's important. You have to practice that. I practiced it by interviewing them on the pipeline. You can practice it by just sitting down and, and having a Skype call and recording it and listening back to it. And if you find that when you listen back to it, you're cracking up, you're laughing, you're learning something from that conversation that the two of you just had, that might make for a very good show. But if you yourself don't want to listen back to it, maybe no one else will want to. As far as finding those people, for me, they were people that I already had some kind of friendship with. They were people that I knew, perhaps I just knew them online or over email or over text, or I had wanted to interview them and did. But, uh, but I, I feel like having that kind of connection with somebody is important to build chemistry. What's really interesting is the show that I've been doing now for the longest, uh, which is Back to Work, that I do with, with Merlin Mann, uh, he and I had never met each other in person. We had never had more than a, an email here and there until I interviewed him. Uh, I had him as a guest on a show he's due to call The Conversation, and then I did a Pipeline episode with him. So I'd only really talked to him twice before, uh, before we started doing a show, and we really didn't know how it was going to go. We hit it off, and of course, who can't talk to Merlin Mann? He's great talking to everybody. But we weren't really sure what the show could potentially evolve into. Now, 262 episodes uh, we've done, many of them over two hours. And we do it every week. And it's a professional thing. And we take it very seriously. And, and I, I was very lucky that he wanted to do a show with me uh, because it's been a wonderful experience. And it continues to be a great experience. So, and I'm, I mean, I'm super proud of, of doing that show with him every week. That's the way you want to feel. And if you, if you feel that way with somebody that you're talking to, then yeah, there, there might be, you might have a good shot at doing a really cool show. Uh, a lot of people have asked me, and Kyle Albert, 
Kyle Albert 95 most recently says, any news on when fireside.io will be available? I'm ready to move off my other podcast hosting company right now. And uh, the, the answer is, I'm so happy to say this, that uh, the thing is up and running and built and working. And all we're doing right now are, uh, I've hired a, an amazing designer to help me put the finishing touches on the externally facing pages. These are the pages that when you uh, would create your own podcast, that the world would see when they click on a link, an episode link, uh, something like that. Those, those externally facing pages need to look amazing. They need to look amazing. And you know what? I know how to do HTML and CSS, but uh, I'm, I'm not a designer the way that these amazing designers in the world are. So I had to hire one and he's here in Austin. He's working with us and he's, we're so close. And it's, it's, you know, now is that frustrating time when like it's built and it works and we just need to put this beautiful finish on top of it. And, uh, and that takes time and it's very, uh, it's very subjective. So uh, we're trying to wrap that up, but like literally any day now. So if you want to try out this system and be one of the first people to use it, go to fireside.io, sign up there uh, to, uh, for the newsletter and, uh, you'll be one of the first to try it out. Kyle also asked a couple of other questions. Uh, he says, I found my own voice is very quiet in my headphones, which are plugged directly, uh, into the back of my ATR USB mic. And uh, I think he's, you know, he's unhappy with that. How can he fix that? You know, his, his own voice is very quiet. He's not using a mixer. But his guest's voice or his, uh, his, you know, his co-host voice is much louder. How can he equalize this? Well, it may be possible that you can turn the gain uh, on your mic up. If that's possible to do, turn, turn the gain up. People often ask me if they're looking at a meter, perhaps there's a meter that they're watching in their recording application in their DAW or somewhere else. You probably want to hit about... Uh, you definitely want to be about minus six. So that's where you want to be hitting in that meter if you're watching a meter. Some people would want you to hit more. Some people want you to hit a little bit less. You just want a nice, strong signal that you're recording right there. If you find that yours is not loud enough, what you might have to do is you might have to boost that in your editing application. So depending on which application you're using, there's different ways to do that. But basically, you just want to increase the volume on that track. What you can also do is decrease the volume a little bit. You don't want to do that too much. You also don't want to increase yours too much. But bring yours up and bring the other track or tracks down a little bit to balance out and equalize these different volumes. What you can also do, and I highly recommend, is putting a level a layer of compression on uh, onto each of these tracks. That will help take the quiet parts uh, that normally happen with the human voice and boost them and take things when you get a little too loud and bring them down to, to a little bit more of a reasonable level. But it's super important that in that final mix that everybody's voice is as close as possible to the same, what we would think of as the same volume. Super, super, super important. Headphones will go all very, very long way in helping you balance this out. I remember once a while ago, we had an intern and uh, they were editing a show and I listened back to the show and I said, well, me and 
I, I don't remember who it was. Me and, and the person I was talking to were way off. And they said, what? It's, they sound exactly alike. I said, what headphones are you using? Well, they had, uh, they had uh, you know, nothing against Sennheiser. They, they make great ones. But we have a couple cheap Sennheiser headphones for like guests when they come in the studio and they're just talking into a microphone. Not what I would want anyone using to edit. So I handed them a pair of the Sony MDR7506s that we use here as our standard mics. I'm sorry, our standard uh, headphones in the studio. And they looked at me and they said, what? These are completely not the same level at all. So, you know, your, your headphones will make a huge difference when you're editing. There are plenty of people who uh, do long blog posts and make websites to talk about the best headphones that you can get and why these are better and this, that, and the other thing. I'm not going to get into that whole world because I'm not listening to music on my headphones. I'm not exercising with them on. I'm not enjoying a movie with them on. I'm recording podcasts and I'm editing podcasts. So the kind of headphones that I want are going to present and represent as close as possible an average sound to what everybody else is probably going to hear. They are going to have a true representation of what I'm recording and what I'm editing. And I I don't want them to sound amazing unless the thing that I'm recording sounds amazing. And the headphones that are pretty much the industry standard that you will find in every radio station, every recording studio, every film production studio, every editing studio in the whole world are the Sony MDR7506's professional large diaphragm headphones. Link will be in the show notes if you want to buy a pair for yourself. They're $79 on Amazon. $79 for headphones? What? Yes. That's expensive for a pair of headphones that you're using to do a podcast. And music does sound pretty good through them, by the way. But these are going to let you hear a true sound, an accurate sound. And so those are the headphones that I recommend. So Kyle, the next time that you record, try to listen through good headphones and be willing to boost your volume and bring your guest volume down. That's a very common thing. Just don't ever release a show where, uh, where their uh, volumes are not lined up. You just, it, people will, will run away. They will run and they will run far away. I would like to tell you about uh, a new sponsor for us but it's not a, a new company for me because I've been using this company since they started for years and years and years. It's Linode, L-I-N-O-D-E. These guys are a hosting company and they were one of the first really amazing Linux VPS companies. What is a Linux VPS? That basically means that uh, you can get a full-fledged server running Linux that's under your control on their infrastructure. And it is nothing short of amazing how fast these servers can get up and running under a minute. And you have full control. You've got root access on this thing. You can pick which Linux distribution you want. It's all automated. And they've got guides that teach you how to do everything you want, how to secure it, how to get it set up, how to set the time zone, all that stuff. It's all there. It's all documented. They've got a wonderful community around this. And plans start at just 10 bucks a month. They've got eight data centers. You can even pick where your Linux server lives. I have mine in Dallas. What do you mean mine? That's right. We just moved everything, all of 5x5's infrastructure, 
all of it over to Linode now. So that's where we're hosted. Good enough for us. It's probably good enough for you guys too. In fact, it's great. So go check it out. They made a special URL, linode.com slash podcast method, L-I-N-O-D-E.com slash podcast method. And the code you want to use is podcast method 20, podcast method 20. You'll get $20 credit. That could be two months uh, free right there. So go check it out. Thanks very much to Linode. Make them proud that they hosted this show, that they supported this show. Go check them out. Linode.com slash podcast method. Graham on Twitter, Graham Dammit is his Twitter name. Sorry. He says, uh, you talk a lot about the live to tape ideal and limiting edits. What about this American Lifestyle podcast? Yes. The storytelling podcast, the podcast where you perhaps even have a script that you're reading as opposed to a live to tape method, which is like what this show is or a lot of the news shows that you hear or back to work, as I was talking about before, where it's two or more people talking, or in this case, one person talking, but it's not scripted. It's more, here's some notes and and let's have a conversation, conversational. Something like This American Life, something like Radio Lab, which might integrate interviews, and, and many of the other shows that are out there, Serial is a good example, where these things are written, they are composed, they are composed pieces that are put together to create a masterpiece, to create a finished product, the way that a movie or a TV show is a finished edited product. This is perfectly fine. And there's the, if anything, those are the shows that are the big, big shows out there. Lore, another great example of this. I love those shows. And in a situation like that, yes, of course, I highly recommend uh, a, a ton of editing. Every single word matters. One thing that I don't love, though, I don't love when someone's talking, uh, perhaps in an interview or something like that, and somebody goes in and, and edits their voice to make them what I say call sounding less human. And what I mean by that is people naturally, they, human beings breathe. Sometimes human beings say, um, I'm not saying if, if you say, um, or like every other word, yeah, maybe edit some of those out, but normal human beings pause. Normal human being, beings take breaths. Normal human be- beings sometimes say, um, It's okay to leave those as part of a conversation. It's perfectly okay to leave that kind of thing unless it's done over and over again. A lot of people will email me or tweet me and ask me questions. They say, though, you know what? I can hear myself breathing. I really don't like that. You can hear me breathing in the microphone. It's really bad. Or I have other sounds that I make that I don't know how to stop. Dan Help me. How do I not hear my breathing sounds on the microphone? That's one of the most common problems, the most most common things I hear from people. They have a good mic technique otherwise, but they've learned that they need to be close to the mic. But then when they're not talking, you kind of get this kind of thing in the background. Um, No one likes that. No one wants to hear that. So what's one of the ways around it? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, You can learn to control your breathing. Everybody remembers the wonderful Chocolate Rain video. You remember Chocolate Rain? I'm not going to put that in the show notes, but go go Google or YouTube Chocolate Rain. I'll tell you what it is. It's a a guy. He's a singer. And there's this meme that came out of it, which is, I move away from the mic when I breathe so that his breathing sound isn't getting caught on the microphone in between phrases 
of his song that he's singing. Well, you can absolutely turn your head away from the mic to take a breath. You can also use something uh, called a noise gate that many uh, many preamps will have. My my old favorite preamp, the DBX 286S, has a really great preamp built into it. You can get the DBX uh, 286S for $179. Looking at it right here on Amazon. I'll put that in the show notes. 5x5.tv slash podcast method slash 20. These things are great. They're wonderful preamps for a non-USB mic, for a regular XLR mic. They're amazing. And they have a noise gate on them. So what you do is you, you turn the noise gate up. So any noise that falls beneath a certain threshold won't get picked up by the microphone and won't get recorded. So if you're breathing, but you're breathing at a normal, quiet level, and you have good mic technique, you're not too close or too far from the mic, that sound will be gated out. It will never even be recorded. So let me give you an example of that. I'm standing right here about two and a half inches away from the microphone as I speak to you. There is a noise gate on. And I'm going to breathe normally right up by the microphone. So listen up. You didn't hear anything. Neither did I. Thank you, noise gate. Go get a noise gate. (laughs) Go get a preamp with a noise gate built in. If you don't want to do that, you can also use a noise gate filter in your editing application. Logic has one. Pro Tools has one. All, All the great applications out there will have noise gates. And you have to experiment. You have to be very, very careful that you don't overgate the sound. If you overgate the sound or if it's too quick, you'll find that just the regular part of your speaking will be cut off as well. Let me see if I can demo that for you. All right. Now, if I turn this knob on my noise gate way down, you will not be able to hear everything I'm saying exactly. That's too aggressive of a noise gate. Cutting off different things that I'm saying if they're not loud enough. That sounded pretty bad, didn't it? That's what a noise gate sounds like if it's set wrong. You want to be very, very delicate with that noise gate setting. You want to be just enough that it will take out that background noise when you're not talking, when you're just breathing, or the air conditioning in the background. Be very careful with it. But noise gates, invaluable. Invaluable. Even in post-production, invaluable. Mike Gottman, Gottman, who is Mr. G-O-T-E-M-A-N on Twitter, asks, what do you think about launching a new podcast with multiple episodes, two to three at once, and then going weekly? Well, I think that's a really cool idea. I love that idea. Oh, it's almost like a Netflix approach, right? I mean, there's plenty of uh, plenty of podcasters that are doing that kind of pre-recorded storytelling type of a, of a podcast. Why not release them all at once? If you have sponsors, your sponsors might want things to be spread out. But you know what? Our back catalog at 5x5 is downloaded all the time. We have tons and tons and tons of people who go and they, they somehow stumble upon a new show. They listen to one episode and they say, you know what? I'm going back to episode one and I'm listening to all these other episodes. In fact, that's what Mike, Mick, 
says in an earlier tweet, he says, I'm going back to the beginning and listening through every episode of the podcast method. I love the show. I'm learning a lot. Thanks. Right there. Take that Netflix, you know, take that Netflix concept and, and record a whole bunch of episodes and release them. I don't see a downside to that. And then go weekly. Great. I think that's a wonderful idea. Rob Griffiths, who's at Bite Spider, B-Y-T-E, Bite Spider, says, how do you deal with a past episode you've had to remove, but there are four to 500 requests a day for it? In this case, a mistake led to a DMCA. I'm thinking of putting a replacement MP3 to explain that the file is gone. Wonderful question. Might be a bit of a corner case. I don't know how many people are getting DMCAs uh, because of mistakes or in- included content or whatever. Um, you know, that's a tricky one. If you have to take an episode down for some reason, do you put up a replacement episode which just says, sorry, we had to take that one down. Nothing to see here. Move along. I don't really think so. I say just just leave it a 404. Just take it away and get rid of it, even if there are four to 500 requests. Those requests will decrease over time. If you've removed the episodes page, it will get unindexed eventually by Google and the other search engines. And eventually it will just sort of fall off the face of the earth and it'll be like it was never there at all. What would be better wouldn't be a replacement MP3 file to explain why it's gone, but would be to fix whatever was wrong with that episode and put the original episode back. This is the trouble with a podcast, though. Once people have downloaded it, it's out there. We had a mistake recently in one of our episodes. We missed uh, a marker that I put down for uh, where one of uh, me or a co-host coughed or sneezed or something like that happened. And we missed it. It happens. And we released a show and ten or 15,000 people downloaded it with a cough or sneeze or, hey, put a marker there. Sure. It happens. But there's no way to recall it, right? You can't bring that episode back. You can't replace it. I could force people to download a new copy of it, but gosh, why would I do that? Now they're going to have two episode 50s in there? One of them with a cough, one of them without? I've doubled my bandwidth bill for that episode. I've forced everyone to re-download something. They don't know why. They're going to start listening to it and they're going to be frustrated, banging their heads against their phones. Why am I hearing this episode again? I thought there was a new one. Why did I get an old episode? I better email the host of this show to let them know. No, don't, don't do a new episode like that. But if you can go into that old episode and fix it up and remove whatever the problem was, and put it back up there, you can't fix the damage that was done with those first group of people downloading it, but you sure can make it so that new people, when they come, will get the right episode. Martin Lindiscog, I hope I'm pronouncing your your name right. I'm not the best at that. It's at Lyceum, L-Y-C-E-U-M on Twitter. If you want to interview food truck owners in the street, could you use IK Multimedia chainable lavalier mics? Uh, I suppose you could. I would recommend against it. I would recommend against using a lav mic anytime you can use anything else. And I'll tell you why. One, good lav mics are very expensive. 400 bucks minimum, 600 bucks probably uh, more realistic. Example. 
That's a lot of money. Number two, you've got to wire up whoever's going to be on that lav mic. Get to wire them up. A lot of people don't want to get wired up. Number three, if you're just interviewing somebody like in a food truck, you could try a shotgun mic or you could just go and get a, you know, a Sure SM58. That is the standard stage mic. And you can plug that thing into like a Zoom handheld recorder. Any of them will do. The H4N is the ancient one that we have, but there are plenty of uh, uh, wonderful handheld recorders out there. The H5 is a, uh, is a really, really good one. It's expensive. It's 269 bucks, But it's a four-track portable recorder. It even has a built-in microphone. You can just point it at the person that you're talking to. If what you if if uh, if Martin, what you're saying is those are the mics that you have, why why sure you could use that. A good example of what I'm talking about would actually be this recent episode that Brian Brushwood uh, came out with on YouTube. I was on it, and uh, frequent co-host here at Five by Five. Heidi Cook was also on it. And Brian had the two of us come out and try to use beer bottles to light one of those little strike anywhere and not strike anywhere, but one of those strike matches. Well, this is this is what Brian Brushwood does. He he runs Scam School and he has people come and try and do these crazy tricks, and then he shows you the secret. He shows you how it's really done. And so Hattie and I went out there and, uh, and, and he filmed this whole thing and we had lav mics on. Now, Hattie and I both had on, and I'll, I'll put that, uh, it's uh, like a five minute video. It's awesome. And if you want to see me and Hattie getting completely stumped, you can go there and watch that video. But Hattie and I both had a lav mic on and so did Brian. Brian's mic was about $200 more than the ones that Hattie and I had on. And you can really hear the difference. Brian sounds much more like Brian in, in real life than we do. Although those lav mics are hundreds of dollars better than the ones that we've been messing with here. So be very careful with the lav mics. They're, they're not great. And if you're recording a podcast, you're going to have to do a whole lot in post-production to make those things sound uh, good at all. But definitely go check out that video. It, it, he, he does great work. And uh, it's, uh, it, it, it's fun to, uh, to get the answer to that puzzle. Fletch, who is at the Mango Times on Twitter, says, Podcast listener wants to support the show as an individual. Best Avenue, Patreon, PayPal link, thoughts? For a very, very long time, we had uh, what I we would call a, a tip jar at 5 by 5 which was more or less like you could just, we had a couple links to PayPal. You could type in however much you wanted to donate. People could donate, you know, a buck, a hundred bucks. They could donate $5 a month, whatever it was they wanted to do. And I think that's perfectly fine. PayPal supports donations. You just go to their site and, uh, and configure like a donation button. That's perfectly fine. These days, especially in the podcast community, I think Patreon is a little bit more widely used. And the reason that Patreon is more widely used is because it allows you to uh, better engage with your listeners 
than you can do with something like uh like like PayPal which kind of just lets you take their money. So we're doing tons of stuff uh with Patreon and we're about to do a whole lot more. We have 413 patrons on there right now supporting us on our Patreon. And so we can come out with a new video, we can come out with a secret episode of a show, we could do other things and people will get notified and they can control their subscriptions and how much they spend. The interface is really nice. So even if it's just one person who wants to donate one thing, maybe that's better on a, on a PayPal with a donation button. But the goal, I think, should be to try and give them something more back, to try and integrate what you're doing more into your show like, like we try to do. So go to patreon.com slash 5x5 to get an idea of what we're doing there and what you, what you can do there. And you can even set goals and all, all kinds of other things. It's, it's, a, it's a whole lot of fun. I'll put that in the show notes too. For a, for a one-off, maybe PayPal does make more sense. Our second sponsor is Bench. Bench is the online bookkeeping service that pairs you with a team of dedicated bookkeepers who use simple, elegant software to do your bookkeeping for you. I love Bench. We use Bench. That's what we use. It's that simple. You go there and they connect you with a real, true human being, real person or people if you're a big enough company, and they handle all your bookkeeping. They handle all your accounting stuff for you. You don't have to worry about it anymore. At the end of the month, they give you your, uh, your summary of what's been going on that month. They show you where things are. You can see it all online. It's beautiful. It connects with your bank accounts, your credit card accounts, so you don't have to like enter anything in manually on worry about all your transactions, how to categorize everything. And then at the end of the year, boom, they hand you a thing. You give it to your accountant. You don't even have to think. It. You, don't have to, you just push all that off your desk. You know what I mean? Just sweep your arm across your desk. Now you got a clean desk. You can focus on the stuff that you do really well and let the bookkeepers keep the books. You don't need to be doing that, right? We were using them before they were a sponsor and I love them. I love the company. Special URL, bench.co slash partner slash podcast method. Just going to that URL supports the show. So just let's start there. Pull your car over to the side of the road right now. Okay, are you safe? Your hazard light's on? Go onto your phone, bench.co slash partner slash podcast method. You have just supported the show. Thank you. But guess what? If you go there and sign up, you're going to get 20% off your first six months. That's a big deal. And it's very affordable and real human beings doing the real stuff. Bench.co slash partner slash podcast method. 20% off for six months. Awesome. Thank you. Renee Coronado, who's Renee underscore Coronado, asks, what do you think of making one-minute clips of a podcast for social distribution, like mini episode trailers. I, I think that's a fantastic idea. I think an, an app came out recently. Uh, I think it's called Anchor. That is designed to record what they call a bite-sized podcast. Radio by the people, they say. So you can record a quick little bite-sized podcast that other people can then reply to you with their own little bite-sized things. To me, that's not a podcast. A podcast is something, I'm not going to say it has to be a certain length of time, 
But a podcast, like maybe I'm a little old fashioned, but I feel like a podcast is like a show. It's like a thing that you're doing. So what? You could do a five minute podcast. You could do a one minute podcast, I suppose. But I like this. I like what they're doing. I don't think of it as podcasting and they don't really call it podcasting per se. They call it radio by the people. That's interesting. Is it radio? I don't know if it's radio. I think it's its own thing. I think it's a very interesting way to connect with other people using your voice and hearing their voices. And I love the idea. I think it's very cool. I don't think it's podcasting, but that doesn't mean it's not awesome. And it, it is pretty awesome. Go to the show notes to check that out. 5by5.tv slash podcast method slash 20. Steve Thomas at Steve Librarian. I've got a good mic, but do you have tips for getting good audio from a Skype guest who doesn't have a good mic? In other words, everybody on Skype. Yes. Uh, if they don't have a good mic, you are going to need to spend a lot of time in post-production. It's as simple as that. One thing you can do, I'm assuming that you're recording, uh, you're recording them on your end and they're not recording their own end. First thing you could try is have them record their own end and send it to you. You can still record it with call recorder or whatever you're using. If you're using a mixer, you can still record it, but have them send their end to you also. Have them record it and send it to you. Anytime that they're recording their own side, it will sound better. Even if it's only a little better, it will sound better than what you're recording on your end over Skype. It always will. So if they don't mind doing that, and it's easy for them to do that, you can have them do that, and then you can take their end and, and use the recording that you did of them as a reference point visually, muting that track, but giving you, yourself a visual reminder of where their audio would be to counter audio drift, which I've explained in previous episodes. That's a good idea. If you can't do that or you don't want to do that or you have a nice mixer set up, consider running them through a preamp as well. Take the output from, uh, from the computer that you're using for them. You should dedicate that computer to, to use for them. In other words, you would have like a Mac Mini or a cheap PC or something like that running Skype with the inputs and outputs going into your mixer. Pass that through a DBX or something similar. And that will boost their audio and add noise gate. Really, really useful. And compression too, by the way. Really, really useful if you're doing live shows or if you just want to avoid post-production. People would say, wait a minute, Dan, you just said those things are 179 bucks. Are you crazy? I can't spend 179 bucks. How much are you spending in time though? If you're editing with this person and they can't afford or don't want to buy a good mic or you have a different guest each week and you never know what you're going to get, you might wind up saving yourself an hour a week. Well, that's going to add up. How many hours a week until you reach $179 of your own time? Consider it. Jake Achee, at J-A-C-H-E-E. Kind of a connected question to the one I answered earlier. Do you think there's a minimum length for a podcast? Is there a place for shorter, <laughs> shorter format ones? Yes. Uh, I, I, think, I think shorter format is more than a minute or two. But I've heard some really fantastic five-minute podcasts. We used to do a show called The Five-Minute Tech News. We did it every day. Give people a summary. They could start their day with a quick five-minute show that brings them up to speed. This is what you need to know for today. I imagine there's lots of things, lots of topics that would work amazing in, in a five-minute format. You know? I remember there used to be something I would hear on the radio on NPR years and years ago. 
where you would hear, I think they read some kind of poem or some kind of quatrain or something like that each morning. Very inspirational. So I think there's a place for that, for sure. I'll take the last question. It's going to be from Cole Ross, again, super fan, at Cole Ross, K-O-L-E. Do you have any tips for naming shows? That's a really cool question. We've had so many shows on 5 by 5 so many different names. I think the name is, I can't tell you. First of all, it doesn't matter what the name is. Do great content. Focus on the content. Uh, number one. But number two, yes, the name matters a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous amount. I talked about Back to Work. I mean, that's the most amazing name for a show about this topic, ostensibly about that topic. But it's just, it's, it's a really good name. It's easy to say, it's easy to write, it's memorable. It ha- you have to be proud of the name, whatever it is. You have to feel good about it. And ideally, it should summarize what it is that you're talking about on the show. It should be easy to say, it should be easy to type, it should be easy for people to remember. It's not absolutely critical. It's not as critical as having good content. But if you look over some of the, the names that we've had of shows, they're all over the place. I used to get uh, a lot of uh, confusion around the show that I do called Quit because people would think it was about, you know, smoking cessation, which it's not really. They would say, well, I'm not interested in that show because I don't want to quit my job. I like my job. Or, yeah, I work for myself, so I don't need to listen to it. Well, no. Uh, that show is uh, is not just about quitting your job. It's about starting something awesome. It's about inspiration. It's about facing challenges. But a name, quit, which is a good name, can still conf- be confusing to people. So pick your name very carefully and spend a lot of time on it and make sure that you have really great artwork too. Hire a designer to create great artwork. It makes a big difference because there's so many other shows out there. You're saying, what, Dan? I, we're just coming out with the show. Now I have to hire a designer? Well, you don't have to do it on day one. But if you care about the show, would you, would you write a book and not have a good cover on that book? Well, of course, you have to have a good cover. That's what people are going to see when they order on Amazon, when they're browsing through the bookstore and the cover catches their attention. It's the same thing. It's a cover art. It's your album art, man. It's got to look good. It doesn't have to look good on day one, but if you're serious about the show, treat it like a serious project. Your work deserves to be considered. And if you're putting your best work into that, show then by all means the cover art should represent it the name should represent it and that's the thing you've got to do it you've got to go and put your work out there so go record something and if you have any questions ask me i'm at dan benjamin on twitter use the hashtag podcast method one word and i'll see it And the more questions I get, the more shows I will do. And I appreciate everybody who's asked me these great questions. Keep them coming. And we'll be back soon for another show answering your questions. Have a good one.